So, first of all, I don't think they should be allowed to register a vote. <laughs> of course you don't. I wonder what party he's from. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. wonder what state he's from. I got the feeling there's something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica with you. Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, WHIV in New Orleans, KNIZ in Gallup, New Mexico, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us for today's thrilling episode. And it is always thrilling when Mark Joseph Stern from Slate joins us. Oh, indeed it is. So if nothing else, you can look forward to that. Uh, hi, Desi Doyen. Hey. You're here as well. So as we usual. always look forward to that. <laughs> I don't uh, know if that's true, but... <laughs> well, we do. Because uh, remember that report that you had uh, last week, I think it was last week, I've lost all track of time, on uh, widespread water contamination in the U.S.? Yep. That the U.S., uh, that the uh, the Trump administration had uh, has so far, I don't, I still think it's not released, that oh, report, oh, right? Oh, it's still not released. So they have refused to release this report to the public, even though we know it includes widespread water contamination across the country. We, we reported on it in a recent Green News report. It reportedly shows, if I recall, far higher levels of very dangerous toxic chemicals in our drinking water than has long been considered safe by the yeah. EPA. Is that about right? That's about right. Member of the administration reportedly said it would be a, quote, public relations disaster if it were released. I remember that right, too? <laughs> yes, you did. The chemicals uh, that they're talking about cause what, Desi Doyen? Um, they're, they're, they're perfluorate compounds, p- known as PFOA and PFAS. Show they're, off. They're in, uh, like, Teflon products right. and, and other products like that. So um, they, they are cause... ca- they're related to a, a, a host of illnesses like infertility and leukemia and other diseases, um, you know, cancers, mm-hmm. a lot of different things that these chemicals cause. So that's why it was such a nightmare to find out that, hey, your drinking water may be contaminated with these chemicals, but the Trump administration doesn't want you to know. It is, not just was, is a a nightmare and a continuing nightmare that they don't want us to know about it. All right, on the heels of that report from just last week and the administration's refusal to release it publicly comes this today. 
Uh, not unrelated, although not in time for our latest Green News report, which we will have for you later today. The Environmental Protection Agency on Tuesday, according to AP, blocked the AP, blocked the Associated Press and at least two other news organizations from attending a national summit on harmful water contaminants. At least one of those reporters was forcibly removed from the grounds. The meeting convened in Washington by EPA Chief Scott Pruitt was open to invited media only. EPA spokesperson Jahan Wilcox said Wilcox said there was no room at the event Mm -hmm. for an AP reporter. Yeah. AP executive editor Sally Busby said in a statement, quote, the Environmental Protection Agency's selective barring of news organizations, including the AP, from covering today's meeting is alarming and a direct threat to the public's right to know about what is happening inside their government. E&E News, which covers energy and environmental issues, uh, confirmed to the AP that Reporter Corbin Heyer was kept out of the meeting as well. CNN said in a statement that its reporter was also turned away from covering the event, quote, after multiple attempts to attend. The summit was on a class of chemicals present in dangerous amounts in many water systems around the country. Pruitt told about 200 people at the meeting. So there was room for 200 people at this meeting. Uh Uh-huh. Just not for that one reporter from AP or from CNN. Pruitt told those people that dealing with the contaminants contaminants is a, quote, national priority. (laughs) But apparently not so much of a national priority that uh, the national media should be allowed to attend and report on it. Especially not national media outlets that have been less than complimentary of Pruitt's uh, agenda so far. Uh, You know, yeah, I was going to say, I don't even know if it's about about not being complimentary. I think it's about they just don't want it to get out there. They just don't want to report through normal media. I'm sure they allowed a bunch of right wing media. I'm sure Breitbart will have something to say about it. AP executives, uh, AP's executive editor Busby noted in her statement as well that, quote, it is particularly distressing that any journalist trying to cover an event in the public interest would be forcibly removed. Which, yes, at least one of them was. An AP reporter attempted to attend the meeting, but was told she was not on the invitation list. When the reporter asked to speak to an EPA public affairs person, security guards grabbed her by the shoulders and pushed her out of the EPA building. Pushed her out of the EPA building. Pushed out a reporter from AP, from a public event held by the EPA, at the EPA. I fear this news today gets lost behind all of the other stuff going on, but this is not normal. This is not how a supposedly free society with a supposedly free press is very specifically uh, protected by the U.S. Constitution. This is not supposed to be how this works. So please do not ignore what is happening here. I'm sorry to say, but this is a very dark road we are on right now, unless and until it can be changed. Uh, Very dark. Oh, indeed. Uh, Speaking of dark and changing, well, a lot here. Uh, Well, you'll have Des uh, 
uh, our latest Green News report coming up in a bit on uh, some extraordinary denial, <laughs> even for Republicans, <laughs> in the U.S. House yeah, uh, and some other important news. But this email uh, from Betsy M. in Texas following uh, last Friday's shooting at Santa Fe High School in uh, southeastern Texas that we talked about on yesterday's show. Betsy writes, hi, Brad, as you may recall, I teach sixth and seventh grade in Texas. Today, she writes, there was a knock on the door to my classroom. We are out in a portable, so anyone can, uh, so anyone from anywhere can stop by. And she sent pictures. It's sort of these, uh, oh, you yeah, know, these, these temporary mobile buildings. temporary buildings They're out there. They're yeah. used quite a bit in Texas because they don't want to spend the money to build buildings. I know this from personal experience. Yes, you do. She says, uh, so anyone uh, from anywhere can stop by. One of my sixth graders looked out, said he didn't know the person at the door after the knock and asked me to come. As I walked over, one of his classmates said, Miss M, look and see if he has a gun. Oof. He didn't. He was there to pick up the recycling bin. He was an eighth grader. She adds, welcome to modern schooling. Yep. And uh, apparently that's where we are now. And uh, frankly, I, I guess we should add welcome to Texas. Yeah. Where they really don't want you guys in Texas to vote to change any of this. The legal fight over whether Texas is disenfranchising thousands of voters by violating a federal voter registration law is on its way to federal appeals court, according to the Texas Tribune, just after a federal judge gave Texas less than two months to implement a limited version of online voter registration. The state on Monday, within minutes, formally notified U.S. District Judge Orlando Garcia that it was appealing his finding that Texas was violating the law also known as the Motor Voter Act and, by the way, the U.S. Constitution, by failing to allow drivers to register to vote when they renew their driver's licenses online. Pointing to registration deadlines for the November election, Garcia created, the judge here, created a 45-day deadline for the state to create the online system for drivers in order to comply with the federal law that requires states to allow people to register to vote when they get their driver's licenses. So now remember, these are people who have already received their driver's licenses. The uh, They're going to renew them. The state has already taken their photograph collected all of their information regarding their residency, etc. But Texas still does not want to make it easy for them to register to vote using the information that the state already has. And not only do they not want to make it easier for them to register to vote, they are willing to spend uh, state money to go to federal court, to an appeals court now, to respond to the uh, lower court ruling saying that, yes, Texas must do this. They must make this available on their website when people go to renew their license. Judge Garcia's orders were made public on Monday. They followed the state's reluctance to revise its current system, which allows people to register when they go in person to the Department of Public Safety office to uh, update their driver's license, but not when they renew their licenses online. Texans updating their licenses on the DPS website are instead directed to a registration form 
on the Secretary of State's website that they they then must print out and then they must send it in to their county registrar instead of just being able to click a button and say, yes, register me to vote. You already have my information. You know what I look like. I have a photo ID in your system. Asked to uh, propose a fix to this problem by last Thursday, the Texas Attorney General's office that would be uh, Ken Paxton, who is under federal indictment for securities fraud. Uh, he uh, he's representing the state in, in court here. He offered no specific solution to this and instead disputed the judge's ruling that the state had to do so at all. So Judge Garcia, who had already given them 45 days, he then ordered the state to correct course after they had violated the federal law, quote, for several years on this and ordered them to uh, submit within two weeks a proposal for a public education plan to inform drivers of the option to register online. That now will likely be delayed because the the state has appealed the decision to the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals for relief, the most so-called conservative court, appeals court in the land. So we'll see how they rule here. But the state's current system was initially challenged back in 2016 by the Texas Civil Rights Project on behalf of several Texas voters who uh, the group argued were among thousands of voters disenfranchised by Texas's disparate treatment for those renewing their licenses online. And it's a lot more convenient, a lot uh, to get to the DPS in some places of in some places in Texas. It's a three hour round trip. Yeah, remember, Texas is really big. Some counties are hundreds and hundreds of square miles. So, yeah, so those people who happen to live near the DPS, it's easy for them uh, to renew and upgrade, uh, you know, upgrade their their voter registration to register in the first place for voter registration. But if you live out uh, in a rural area, well, too bad for you. Beth Stevens, the voting rights director for the Texas Civil Rights Project, said in a statement that 25 years ago, Congress passed the National Voter Registration Act to get more people registered to vote. She said it's long past time for the state to stop wasting time and resources defending its unlawful violation of this pivotal voting rights law. Garcia ruled that the state's current scheme violates that law and the Constitution's Equal Protection Clause. The state had also argued that there are technological difficulties associated with online voter registration. What? Even in this narrow form. Oh, please. Particularly because uh, state law requires a signature when an individual registers to vote. But Garcia, the judge, also dismissed that argument because the state already keeps an electronic signature on file for these people. Exactly. The state's excuse for noncompliance is not supported by the facts or the law, Garcia said in his ruling. Of course, uh, the delay, even if they're uh, unsuccessful in the Fifth uh, Circuit, it will probably delay the entire issue before November. So Texas, the scofflaw state of Texas, will get away with once again violating voting rights laws, violating federal law, violating the U.S. Constitution. Because that's what they do in Texas. It's like a whole nother country. Yep. Uh, Speaking of Republicans who really, really, really don't want certain people to vote, a Republican candidate for Congress in Florida's 6th U.S. House District has now walked back, sort of, an earlier assertion that Puerto Rican hurricane evacuees should not be allowed to register to vote at all in the mainland U.S. 
As reported by Politico on Tuesday, Republican congressional candidate John Ward, one of three competing for the GOP nomination to fill a seat in uh, the 6th district in U.S. House District in Florida, a seat being left vacant by a fellow Republican this year, John Ward made the original remark last week at a campaign forum in response to a voter who'd asked about Puerto Ricans who have moved either temporarily or permanently to Florida. The uh, the person asked, uh, how do you respond to them when they say they need more help and the aid to Puerto Rico is not enough? So, first of all, I don't think they should be allowed to register to vote. And, and, you know, it's not lost on me that uh, uh, I think the Democrat Party is really hoping that they can change kind of the, the, the voting registers in a lot of counties and districts. And, and I, I don't think they should be allowed to do that. Secondly, I think the situation's improving a lot there. And, and, and where I'm going with that comment is um, we should be looking to, to uh, put the Puerto Ricans back in their homes. Right. So so the idea that they can come come to the mainland United States, I, I don't necessarily have a problem w- with that. But I think we should be thinking about it in terms of, of getting them back home and, and, and providing the capital and resources to rebuild Puerto Rico, which is, I honestly think is is where they belong. Where they belong. That is where they belong. These are American citizens. They belong wherever the hell they would like to be in America. He says he doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily have a problem. He might have a little bit of a problem with them uh, coming here to the mainland where they don't belong, apparently. Uh, By the way, the the question wasn't even, the guy didn't even ask him about uh, registering to vote. This was just the first thing that comes out of this guy's mouth, out of John Ward's mouth. First of all, I don't think they should be allowed to register to vote. Can you imagine a similar statement? Let's say a tornado wiped out some part of Kansas, as happens fairly regularly, and uh, with their homes uh, devastated repeatedly, they decide to, to move to Florida or Texas. Can you imagine anyone in Florida or Texas, much less a candidate for office, saying they they shouldn't be allowed to register to vote here in Florida or Texas? We need to make sure they go back to Kansas where they belong. The uh, the campaign of one of Ward's GOP primary opponents, uh, state rep Fred Costello, posted a video of this uh, this exchange last week. And uh, one of Costello's colleagues, who's of Puerto Rican descent, uh, Republican state rep Bob Cortez, said that he was outraged by the remarks and decided to publicly endorse Costello and condemn Ward, saying that Ward's remarks would only help Democrats stereotype Republicans (laughs) as ignorant nativists. I, I don't think Dems need much help with that these days, apparently. The uh, video also included a response from a, a, a woman. It was a small crowd there, but it was a, a woman who was of Puerto Rican descent. She was born in New York. She was an attorney. She was very unhappy about those comments. I don't have time to play it. I have to get to our guest here. But uh, late last week, Ward was asked about those remarks, and uh, he replied at that point. He sort of started walking it back, quote, Of course Puerto Ricans are American citizens who have the right to vote in Florida. Once establishing permanent residency, 
in an email to Politico, Ward maintained that the Democratic Party, he called them Democrat Party, by the way, in yeah. the uh, in that uh, uh, audio there. Uh, he warned that uh, the Democratic Party shouldn't, quote, be able to take advantage of Puerto Rican evacuees fleeing a natural natural disaster here on a temporary basis in order to manipulate voter registration rolls in the run up to the 2018 elections. He said, I would welcome any Puerto Rican who wants permanently to resettle in Florida to register to vote here. We're all American citizens together. That said, if a natural disaster displaced me from Florida to some other state temporarily, I'd still want to vote by absentee in Florida, my home community and voter registration, and not elsewhere. Well, that's fine, Mr. Ward, but it is not up to you. It is not up to you to decide just what you would do. Doesn't mean everyone else has to do what you would like, which you would do yourself. We call it freedom, if you've not uh, heard of it, Mr. Ward. You may want to get familiar with that idea. And how voting laws work, or how they're supposed to work, may not apply in the state of Texas or Florida. I suspect if one of those uh, displaced folks, uh, you know, walked up to him and said, you know, they were from Puerto Rico, but they had moved here after the storm and they wanted to vote for him, do you think he would tell them, Oh, you need to go back where you belong. Do not register to vote. Don't vote for me. Yeah, I don't think he would. Ward's GOP primary opponent, Costello, uh, called Ward's new position, uh, walking this back, a, quote, horse manure. He noted that Ward didn't clarify his remarks at the time, even when that lawyer of Puerto Rican descent had chastised him immediately after the comments. Uh, that he made uh, at the Mount Dora Republican Club. Before Hurricane Maria struck, by the way, Florida had about 1.1 million Puerto Rican residents, and experts estimated about 500,000 of them were registered to vote. Estimates for the number of Puerto Ricans who moved to Florida after the storm were as high as 280,000. Uh, but uh, those numbers are now, according to experts, closer to 50,000. In Florida, of course, 50,000, that's enough to flip a lot of elections one way or the other. But speaking of the nativist element on the right and how far some are willing to go to make sure that not only do they not vote, but they're not even allowed to be here at all, we've got a good news update on a horrific story we covered last year concerning ICE rounding up a legal DACA dreamer in Seattle and then blatantly lying about him to try and deport him, and some less good news on a disturbing 5-4 to four opinion this week from the stolen U.S. Supreme Court. Slate's Mark Joseph Stern joins us next to discuss both of those stories. I'm Brad Friedman. This is The Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? 
Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That music sounds ominous. Continuing a pattern over many recent years, on Monday, the stolen Republican majority on the U.S. Supreme Court found against workers and in favor of employers on a case regarding forced arbitration and class action lawsuits and wage theft that, as my guest today writes, effectively legalizes low-level wage theft and is nothing less than catastrophic for workers across the country. No wonder we got that ominous music. And that's, uh, well, that's the bad news that we'll talk about with him momentarily. The good news, sort of, that we'll start out with, however, concerns a lower federal court ruling in a separate, if also disturbing, story that we covered in some detail last year. Among the stories we covered early in the Trump administration, not long after he had taken office and ordered his DHS and Customs and Border Protection Service and ICE, the Immigrations and Customs Enforcement Agencies, uh, to start rounding up Im immigrants with supposedly criminal records for deportation. Among those stories that we covered, one of those rounded up was a 24-year-old uh, young man by the name of Daniel Ramirez Medina up in Seattle. He was a young man who enjoyed legal DACA protection status under President Obama's Deferred Action on Childhood Arrivals program. Those folks, the so-called dreamers who had been brought to this country at a very young age with their parents and had registered under the federal DACA program, were supposed to be protected from deportation unless they were found to have committed some sort of crime. Even Donald Trump had promised as much. Uh, well, at least until he decided to try and kill DACA entirely late last year, which thankfully federal courts have so far blocked him from doing for the most part. But as we detailed last year at the time that this happened and as Mark Joseph Stern reports at Slate this week, the facts of the Ramirez case are extremely disturbing. As he explains, in February 2017, shortly after President Donald Trump unleashed immigration agents to amp up arrests and deportations, ICE agents went to Ramirez's father's house in Seattle to arrest him. The father is undocumented and had brought Ramirez to the U.S. illegally as a child when he was five years old. While there, Stern reports, they encountered Ramirez, the young man, and asked him if he was, quote, legally here. He responded that he was, which is a truthful statement, given his DACA status, which he had renewed just the previous May. Yet ICE officers detained Ramirez anyway. They took him to a processing center where, once again, he, he told them that he had a work permit to be here. An agent responded, it doesn't matter because you weren't born in this country. That's a direct quote. ICE then interrogated Ramirez, fingerprinted him, booked him, confiscated his work permit, sent him to a detention center and placed him in removal proceedings to be deported. It also purportedly tried to revoke his DACA status entirely, subjecting him to imminent deportation. A group of renowned attorneys then stepped in to defend Ramirez, arguing that virtually every action ICE had taken against their client was unlawful. ICE, of course, claimed otherwise, 
citing Ramirez's affiliation with a gang as enough to deport him. Only one problem. Ramirez repeatedly said he was not affiliated with a gang and never was. What happened next, as they say on the internets, will shock you. Joining us now to explain what ICE did and what a court found last week, not to mention that terrible ruling in the U.S. Supreme Court this week, is Mark Joseph Stern, who covers the law, the court system, the Supreme Court, LGBTQ issues, and much more for Slate.com. And he also happens to be very good at making sense of the senseless. Mark Joseph Stern, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thanks so much for having me on. That's about as high a compliment as I think anyone could pay me, yeah. making sense of the senseless. <laughs> that's that's kind of where we are right now, isn't it? Yes, I think so. Uh, all right. Well, on that note, let's talk about this uh, Daniel Ramirez case, because frankly, I feel like this is one... Uh, this is one of them that, you know, that, that we know about and where ICE sort of has got caught. And I'm, I'm very troubled by how many more such cases there may be out there that we don't know about or where there might not be, you know, as much publicity uh, due to the noise emanating from this horrific White House on a day to day basis that, you know, that we don't even hear about these stories. So uh, despite Ramirez repeatedly insisting that he never had anything to do with gangs, what was ICE's evidence that he was involved in gangs, which they built their case on for stripping him of DACA status and, and, and hope to deport him on? So ICE had basically two pieces of ostensible evidence. Um, the first one was this statement that he had purportedly written um, that seemed to confess to him being in a gang uh, but it turned out that this statement was almost certainly doctored by ICE agents in order to reverse its meaning. Um, the original statement had insisted that he was not in a gang, but there's actually a picture of it. He'd written that in pencil, and it looks as if an ICE agent erased uh, part mm -hmm. of the sentence to change the meaning entirely and, and make it seem as if he had confessed to being in a gang. And, and that, um, was, that was early on. We, we saw that. That was part of uh, the story that we covered, you know, almost a year ago at this point, maybe uh, all, more than a year ago, that, yeah. you know, that document, you could see that it had clearly been erased part of the sentence by someone. That's exactly right. And after a lawyer called out ICE on that point, they sort of dropped that as evidence and picked up a new piece of evidence, which was that a tattoo on Daniel Ramirez's forearm proved that he was affiliated with a gang. Now, this tattoo, um, it had a nautical star and the words La Paz BCS which, as he explained repeatedly, represented his birthplace, the city of La Paz in Baja, California, Sur. Uh, but ICE told him over and over again that actually it was just like the tattoo of the Bulldogs gang and therefore proved he was a member of a gang and could be deported. One problem with that story is that there is no such thing as the Bulldogs gang. Another problem with the story is that even if there were, this had nothing to do with any kind of gang. It was so clearly benign and innocent. There was such a clear, plausible explanation. But ICE just refused to acknowledge it and repeatedly told Im the immigration courts as well as the federal courts, that they were certain Daniel Ramirez was a gang member. I, I had actually, I had missed that part of the story that there is no such Bulldogs gang. They just made up a gang to claim he yes. was belonged to it. 
they made up a gang. They they appear to have taken uh, some some fictional gang uh, and sort of turned it into oh. this bulldogs gang, and then used that. Uh, to prove he was in the game, because remember, and, and this goes to what you were saying earlier, ICE agents do this all the time, okay? Because once ICE agents claim that an, that an undocumented immigrant mm-hmm. is a member of a gang, that finding is almost never scrutinized, and it expedites the, uh, the deportation of that individual, right? So, you know, all the time ICE is saying he's in a gang, she's in a gang, they're in a gang, uh, and because those individuals do not have DACA status, uh, they usually don't have any chance to say, no, we weren't. No one listens to them, no one cares about them, and they're deported very quickly. The only reason that this story rose to the top and that, and that it actually got before a federal judge uh-huh. who would rule on it is because this guy was lucky enough to have DACA status. So he had this extra layer of protection that most undocumented immigrants don't have. This was ICE using the same tricks it uses all the time on someone who had, luckily, a legal right to fight those tricks in federal court. And and in normal cases, well, in other cases where you don't have DACA protection, uh, that person cannot even get before a federal, uh, a federal court? Very, very, very rarely can they get before a federal court. That's, that's right. They usually, at best, go before an immigration judge with no lawyer. They say, ICE is lying, I'm not a member of the gang. The immigration judge, who has a massive backlog and has institutional incentive to rule against immigrants, says, I don't believe you, I believe ICE signs a piece of paper, and that person is on a plane out of the country in shackles. Wow. Uh, the That's usually how it happens. So this guy, so Ramirez is actually pretty lucky here. The U.S. District Court judge uh, was actually a George W. Bush appointee. He was uh, none too happy, it appears, about what ICE was doing here. He, uh, You note that he did not simply rule against ICE. He accused the agency of lying to a court of law. So did they... They take they they took that law and they uh, I'm sorry that lie uh, about the documents about the tattoo and they tried to make that case in federal court. Yes, they they tried as well as they could to uh, to push forward their conspiracy theory about Ramirez um, in wow. federal court and they failed quite badly. Uh, this judge, you know, he is a George W. Bush appointee. He's fairly conservative. Judge Martinez is no flaming liberal, um, but he looked at the evidence before him, and he was clearly disgusted and incensed by what the agency had done. He slammed ICE for its conclusory findings, uh, which he said had been contradicted by experts and other evidence. He said the government had produced no evidence to contradict endless testimony put forth by Ramirez's lawyers that he was absolutely not a member of a gang, uh, that his tattoo was completely benign. Uh, And Ramirez said ICE's claims are completely contradictory to the government's own previous findings, which is an important note because, look, to get and renew his DACA status, this guy had already undergone two extremely thorough federal background checks, right? Ramirez was not just some stranger they picked up off the street. The federal government knew of him. They had his information in a database. He had twice been vetted and twice been approved. And now ICE is concocting all of this cockamamie evidence that says, hey, it turns out 
those background checks missed something. This guy is a hardcore gang member. Uh, and, the judge was having none of it. And, and yeah, because presumably those background checks would have uh, shown that he was part of a gang. He wouldn't have received his DACA status. He wouldn't have been able to renew it a second time. And uh, so ICE, so the, the court finds that ICE uh, violated Ramirez's uh, constitutional rights to due process, that ICE lied to a court of law about this, basically made up evidence. Uh, is there any punishment then for these ICE agents, for ICE, uh, you know, blatantly lying to a federal court and, and, and putting this guy at risk of deportation based on completely made up evidence? This is the sad part of this case, I regret to say. The, the good news is that Ramirez is going to be able to keep his DACA status. He will not be deported. He will not be detained. Um, he is uh, back to his house. Uh, he is uh, living comfortably with his family now. But the bad news is that there's basically no way to punish these ICE agents uh, under existing federal law. Look, uh, the Supreme Court has issued a series of rulings that just radically restrict uh, individuals' ability to sue federal agents who abuse their constitutional rights. Uh, it's a sad state of affairs, but it has been a key agenda for the Supreme Court's conservatives. It's continued this term. Uh, and so uh, right now, no, there's really nothing that Ramirez can do to try to hold these ICE agents accountable. Um, you know, theoretically, uh, his lawyers could move to hold them in contempt of court. But the problem is that this involves so many ICE agents. It's, it's as I said, really yeah. a conspiracy that the judge is not going to want to wade into it. The judge is going to want to make his ruling and move on and not deal with the constitutional mess of holding these agents accountable. Uh, the only way that we could really hold them accountable would be if a House of Congress decided to investigate ICE and investigate what it had done here. And unfortunately, under Republican control, I just don't see that happening. Just another reason to try and get out and vote this November, you know, because I can't imagine, by the way, uh, you know, what someone who has been here since they were five, he's been here since he was five years old. Uh, you know, I, I can't imagine what someone like him is supposed to do when he's, you know, sort of dropped into what would be a foreign country at this point to them. Uh, you know, they haven't been there since they were five. Uh, but yeah, that's the problem, not just with Ramirez, obviously, but it it is at the heart of the fight over these a uh, million or so DACA kids who remain in peril today as this, uh, you know, as Trump has lifted the, those protections as it's being fought in court. All right. Well, uh, Mark, that was supposed to be our good news story today. <laughs> well done. Uh, we <laughs> now let's move on to those to one of these uh, yet another one of these terrible Supreme Court decisions. You write at Slate on Monday, the Supreme Court issued a 5-4 decision in Epic Systems versus Lewis, allowing employers to allowing employers to deprive their workers of their right to sue collectively. It's ruling written by Justice Neil Gorsuch. Oh, I remember him. Blasts a massive hole through post New Deal labor law, hobbling employees' ability to recover in court when their employees, when their employers underpay them. And you note it is difficult to overstate how devastating Epic Systems is to labor rights in America and how far Gorsuch strays from federal law to implement his preferred economic policy. Yeah, this this is at least as troubling or should be if, if folks actually hear about this. Uh, what is this case? What did Gorsuch, who shouldn't even be on this court, Mark, 
but for Republicans having stolen the seat from Obama's nominee, Merrick Garland, what did Gorsuch uh, find here? Well, this was Republicans and Republican donors getting what they paid for out of Gorsuch. He was placed on the Supreme Court to cast this vote in cases like this. Um, this is just a deeply troubling decision. Uh, I think uh, a lot of us are familiar with the rise of these mandatory arbitration clauses um, that employers will slip into contracts um, that employees have no choice but to sign. It's simply a condition of employment. Um, sometimes employers who don't have them already will simply announce to all of their employees, by continuing to work here, you agree to mandatory arbitration. And what that means is that the employees have forfeited their right to sue collectively in court um, when they are abused, uh, when their rights are violated, and instead they're obligated to go through the arbitration process one-on-one, -on -one, which is just a very, very unfair, complicated, expensive process that dramatically favors the employer. Uh, in, in the majority of cases, the employer will come out on top. The employee, even if she does win, makes much less money. Uh, and the chief evil of these clauses uh, is not just that they shunt employees into arbitration, which is bad in and of itself. It's that they strip employees of their ability to sue collectively. Look, when an employer is committing wage theft, right, and underpaying uh, a group of workers, uh, it's not going to make a lot of sense for each of those individual workers uh, to sue independently, to mm -hmm. pursue their claims independently. They might have only been denied uh, a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars. That is a lot of money to them. Mm -hmm. uh, but to the rest of the world and to lawyers who might take their case, it's just not worth the time and energy. Uh, so for decades and decades, workers have gotten together and sued collectively through class actions uh, in order to uh, represent themselves and all others uh, who are in the same spot uh, to vindicate their claims all at once. And mandatory arbitration ag agreements just nullify that process. They prohibit employees from suing collectively, force them to sue one-on-one, -on -one, and even worse, they can't even actually sue. They have to go through these mandatory arbitration processes. Uh, essentially, now, they can't take any uh, action, whether it's suing or going to arbitration, at least as a group under this, uh, under this finding. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. They can't do anything collectively. And again, you know, even if they do go into arbitration one-on-one, -on -one, they decide to pursue their own claims, the, the, the deck is stacked outrageously against them. Uh, so, so this case, Epic Systems, it arose after a company uh, called Epic Systems mm -hmm. uh, did something exactly like this. The company actually blasted out uh, an email to every employee one day that said, by continuing to work here, you have agreed to mandatory arbitration. Uh, and then the company allegedly ripped off a bunch of employees uh, who tried to sue. And uh, they said, look, yes, we continued to work there. Um, and, and allegedly that meant we agreed to mandatory arbitration. But there is a law, the National Labor Relations Act, that expressly protects all workers' right to uh, organize together and to engage in concerted activities for the purpose of mutual aid or protection. That is a very sweeping right under federal labor law mm -hmm. that has long been understood to encompass more than just 
the process of unionizing or collective bargaining, but the process of workers coming together to pursue their own claims against employers. Uh, and so the workers at Epic Systems said quite reasonably, uh, we want to come together to engage in concerted activities, uh, you know, for a mm-hmm. mutual protection. We want to sue collectively to recover our lost wages. Uh, and the Supreme Court, in a five to four decision written by Neil Gorsuch, said no. That's not what you get to do. The law does not actually guarantee you that right. Uh, and in fact, you have to abide by these arbitration agreements that were forced upon you um, because that's what you agreed to as an employee. End of story. Yeah, and uh, Think Progress had a, had a good illustration of what this sort of means. They, they note that if, and if, if an employer, for example stole some $300,000 in wages from one single employee, that worker would be able to sue his employer, either in court or even if they had to go into arbitration. But if the employer stole $30 in wages from 10,000 different workers under Gorsuch's holding here, those 10,000 workers could not band together to try to recover their $30, uh, even though we're talking about the same uh, amount, ultimately $300,000. Those workers would have no right. Well, they I guess they could uh, hire a lawyer. They could try to get their $30 back and pay a lot more in legal fees and everything else than it would be worth. Uh, does that illustration sound about right? It, it's exactly right, and I'm glad you brought it up because it, it illustrates one of the most irritating things about this decision. Okay, Neil Gorsuch describes himself as a textualist. He says, I always abide by the plain text of the statute, right? That is all that he does. Now, We now have a federal law, it's been on the books since 1935, that explicitly protects workers' right to engage in concerted activities for their own mutual aid or protection. Not to be a broken record, but that's what the law says. Mm -hmm. Uh, 10,000 people coming together uh, to pursue their claims of 30 stolen dollars is precisely what this law clearly envisions by its own plain text. That is a quintessential example of workers coming together to engage in concerted activities to protect their own interests collectively. And what does Gorsuch say? Oh, that's not what the law means. We're not going to follow that law because basically we don't like it. Uh, We prefer corporations over employees, uh, and so we're going to side with them. It's just infuriating the inconsistency and hypocrisy on his part. Uh, Oh, not my Neil Gorsuch. You write, (laughs) uh, Mark, uh, in your article at Slate that you you spoke to uh, one attorney uh, who said that this, quote, gives a free pass for companies to break the law because employers can now cheat workers with little risk that employees will enforce their rights. I mean, they will just be able to run roughshod over them. The the minority response here was written by uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, according to your coverage and that of many others that I've seen. uh, Her response on behalf of the minority was brutal, one of uh, what you describe as the most furious dissents of her career, as you described it. Yes, uh, she wore her dissenting collar on the bench, and with good reason. Uh, She certainly brought it. Uh, Look, she is incensed not just because this is such a terrible result for workers, but because it's such an obvious mangling, such a misreading of the law Mm -hmm. itself. You know, she, she cares about workers' rights, yes, but she also cares about the integrity of the rule of law. And what she sees here is 
five justices, including one who Betty believed was appointed illegitimately in a stolen seat, warping the law to mean what their rich friends think it should mean, rather than what Congress actually passed. You know, that is just such a blow to her, and understandably so. It's so infuriating for her, um, because the conservatives so frequently accuse her of doing that when she isn't. You know, when Justice Ginsburg upholds the law, they say, oh, judicial activism, but then they turn around and basically read a right to strip your employees of their rights into federal law. Uh, It's just outrageous. She calls the the decision, you know, just egregiously misguided. Uh, She clearly thinks it's one of the worst that's been issued during her time on the bench, and and I really agree with her there. I I think it's unjustifiable. And I think she read it in full from the bench, uh, if I I recall, to underscore just how egregious it was, because it's it's troubling, uh, of course, but it also just seems to be wrong on the law. Very quickly here, uh, can this be undone, or is this uh, something we're now stuck with, thanks to this this, uh, stolen Supreme Court for, for generations? So this is the good news here. Uh, this was not a constitutional ruling. It was a statutory ruling. It was interpreting laws already on the books. Congress can and should change those laws as soon as they have an opportunity to. This is not the first time that the Roberts Court has done sort of funky interpretation to screw over workers and consumers. The Roberts Court has used this arbitration stuff um, to strip consumers of their right to sue, uh, to strip victims of sexual harassment from their right to sue. Uh, They're now stripping all employees of their right to sue. It has been a nightmare. It's not what the law says. And so the next time Democrats take back Congress, I think priority number one or two or three at least has to be amending the Federal Arbitration Act to make it very, very clear that this was not designed to override uh, individuals' right to sue in federal court. Uh, It would be a simple fix. I think one line of text could do it. It would be easy to rally people around. These decisions are not popular. They are not correct. Uh, And I think Democrats have a moral and legal obligation to take care of this as soon as they have power again. Yeah, if they can get back uh, both houses of Congress and if they can get Donald Trump to sign it. Uh, Although, hey, one line, even he could read that. Mark (laughs) Mark Joseph Stern, uh, there's going to be a lot of these uh, opinions coming from the court now over the next month or so. So uh, you may be joining us quite a bit more uh, to, to cover them and help us, as we like to say, make sense of the senseless here as these rulings come forward. Uh, Mark, really appreciate it. You can find his work over at Slate.com. Follow him on Twitter at MJS underscore DC. Mark, always appreciate you uh, joining us. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. You bet. Okay, covering stuff that matters, making sense of the senseless. A quick break, and we are back with some more of that with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. I'm Brad. Don't go away. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I'll stop the world that ends with you. 
Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Okay, Ms. Doyen, are you ready? <laughs> yes. Right to it. Our latest Green News report. You said there are going to be massive, massive sea level rises. Don't you think if you're going to have that kind of statement, you ought to have some ideas to what all the causes of sea level rises have been? Republicans waste public's time denying sea level rise in House Science Committee hearing. NASA study finds humans are driving major changes in the global freshwater supply. The British government to launch non-recyclable plastic tax. Plus, Swamp Captain Mitch McConnell has created millions of jobs for China people. He's back. Ex-con coal baron Don Blankenship launches third-party bid for U.S. Senate. All of those cons and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Obama says when mine leaks into groundwater, it can cause intellectual impairment. But I drink mine water all the time, and I'm fine. And I drink mine water all the time, and I'm fine. <laughs> Go Don Blankenship. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Toyin, I listened to uh, some of this audio from this House hearing. It is incredible the lengths that Republicans are going to deny climate change on behalf of the fossil fuel industry. It's amazing. Yes, and Republicans on the House Science Committee. They were trying to explain away things like rising sea levels in a committee hearing last week in an attempt to deny the global scientific consensus that burning fossil fuels is causing dangerous global warming and rising sea levels. Republican Congressman Mo Brooks of Alabama was very sure that if sea levels really are rising, it could be because of rocks tumbling into the sea. What about erosion? Every time you have that soil or rock, or whatever it is that is deposited into the seas, that forces the sea levels to rise because now you've got less space in those oceans uh, because the bottom is, is moving up. Oh, Jesus. Now, the purpose of that hearing was to focus on how technology could be deployed for adapting to climate change. But instead of examining potential policy actions, the leading climate scientist, Philip Duffy of the Woods Hole Research Center, had to spend the hearing instead explaining basic science to Republican House members. Good God. Meanwhile, former coal baron and ex-convict Don Blankenship, the so-called dark lord of coal, who served a year in prison for mine safety violations that caused the deaths of 29 miners back in 2010 has now announced he is launching a third-party run for Senate in West Virginia after losing the Republican primary. Blankenship's bizarre primary campaign ads attacking Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell garnered a lot of attention. They blew up the coal mine and then put me in prison. Now they're running ads that say the coal mine blew up and I went to prison. There's no surprise there. So now we may see more of those kooky Blankenship ads if Blankenship can find a way around West Virginia state law to proceed. Yeah, if he's able to get on the ballot, it would not help the Republicans, that's for sure. It'll probably help Democratic incumbent Senator Joe Manchin, but it remains a big if. West Virginia has a sore loser law that'll probably keep Blankenship off the ballot. Then again, Blankenship really hasn't cared that much for laws previously. Well, that's true, but if he wants to run, he's going to have to follow him, sort of. Meanwhile, NASA scientists tracking shifts in the global water supply via satellite measurements say that humans have dramatically altered the global water map, revealing major shifts in water supplies from California to China over the last two decades. 
They link about two-thirds of the changes in water availability to climate change and human activities, like excessive groundwater pumping in farming regions. Calling the data, quote, an eye-opener, they warn that the shifts in global water supply indicate potential areas for future water resource conflicts due to decreasing water availability, primarily in food-producing regions in the United States, in India, and the Middle East. But some good news, the British government is planning a major new tax on non-recyclable plastic packaging to fight the scourge of pervasive plastic pollution in the world's oceans. Yeah, good news for you, tax and spend liberals. Well, the UK Independent reports that the proposed new plastic tax would levy a tax on the use of non-recyclable plastic packaging. So it puts the burden of plastic waste onto the companies that create it. The UK plan is to make the cost of using non-recyclable plastics, quote, so exorbitant high that companies will shift to recyclable packaging instead. And Britain plans to use the revenue from the tax to expand its recycling facilities and create new jobs. Sounds kind of like what a lot of folks have been trying to do, putting a price on carbon. Exactly. Meanwhile, the city of San Francisco has committed to transitioning to an all-electric bus fleet. Nice. Planning to launch a small electric bus pilot program next year with the target of shifting to all-electric buses starting seven years from now in 2025. That sounds great and very progressive, unless you know that the city of Shenzhen, China, has already switched all 16,000 of its buses to electric, and they did it in just three years. Well, that's because they made China great again. For much more on all of these reports and the ones we didn't have time for, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Get up on the bus, y'all. <laughs> uh, we got elections this year. We have to do something about all of this crap. Yeah. I'm just saying. And there's stuff we can do. A lot of stuff we can do yeah. as long as people register to vote and actually get out to vote. And their votes are counted accurately. And that too. But that's another story for another day. I got to get out right now. Uh, my thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, to the great Mark Joseph Stern of Slate, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com or at your favorite podcast site. Uh, leave a, a nice review or comment for us. Makes it a little bit easier for everyone else to find us as well. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And yes, I read all of them, even if I can't always respond to all of them. You can also find and follow me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Bradblog. And my thanks, as ever, to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to make sense of the senseless over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. Uh, we don't have advertisers. We don't have corporations. We don't have political parties backing us. We have you. That's it. Bradblog.com slash donate. And we could use a lot more of you. So uh, stop on by there and make a, uh, a monthly contribution of any amount you like. Thank you. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.